Hello, hello. You have reached the Black of the Berry podcast, and this is your host, the Berry Flair. Today, we have a really amazing episode called An Unconventional Life, an Adoption Story. We have a really dope guest today. Can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, my name is Rich. I'm happy to be on there. Yes. Um, I'm so excited for this because we've been talking about you telling your story for some time now and um, I'm excited that you you feel you know ready to do that um, what makes you want to come on and tell your your adoption story or about your unconventional life um, mostly um, somebody I guess this is probably like two years ago told me about <clears throat> excuse me world adoption day and I posted something on Instagram, I posted a photo, and they were asking me about, you know, my adoption story, and I was kind of hesitant, it was somebody I didn't know too well, um, and then I realized through just meeting other people throughout my life, like, each time we tell our story about adoption, um, it, it could be um, a guide to somebody, it could be a deterrent to somebody, but mm-hmm. I felt like my story was just so odd in comparison to the others that I've heard. I felt like, I feel like I need to share this. Yeah. It shouldn't be a secret. Exactly. I mean, one of the main reasons why I started this, and I guess I don't want to disclose too much information. I don't know if my family would be okay with that, but there is somewhat of a story around that um, and why my last name is even Barry. So I'll just disclose that much because I haven't gotten the consent from my family to kind of tell that story. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting how your life can change, you know, when it comes to adoption. My mom has been, um, doing foster care for about 20 something years now. And so, um, and she adopted my two younger cousins. So, my life has definitely been impacted in some ways by um, adoption and, and foster care um, and, you know, gaining more sisters and brothers in the process, basically. Um, right. So where where does your story begin? Uh, my story begins in Spanish Town, Jamaica. Um, I was adopted... Um, so my adopted mother is white. Mm-hmm. She um, she was on vacation in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Adopted my sister, uh, who's um, she's a couple years older than me. So adopted her first, took her back to the states, and I was left there. So I was the only I was the only child there at that point. Mm-hmm. So my sister got really upset that my adopted mother didn't bring me. So, you know, she kept crying and she was upset and everything. So my mother came back and um, adopted me and brought me back. Okay. Uh, so the strange thing about this, just, <clears throat> excuse me, this is going to start off with a little strange, is that, uh, so Spanish Town, if you know or anybody else who hears this knows, it's a it's a real small, it used to be the capital, and then now it's Kingston, but it's, it's a real small area. Um in the 70s, not a place a white woman would go by herself. Yeah. Uh, so there's still some questions as to why she was there, um, why we were adopted. 
Mm. Like not not through um, any kind of agency or home or anything like that. Like straight out of our home. Um, and so yeah, that's that's kind of the interesting part about it. So we went straight from Jamaica to um, to Maine. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, my mom and her uh, her husband lived. So what a drastic uh, geographic change. Yeah, yeah. We went through Canada, of course. Yeah. You know, all, Jama- all Jamaicans go through Canada mm-hmm. or England once they leave. So uh, went through Canada. Um, so this is um, this is like uh, seventy. What is it? Seventy five. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, border security was not what it is now. So my sister had papers. She got in fine. Um, I did not have papers. Mm-hmm. So what they did is um, they put me in the back seat of the car and piled a ton of clothes. Well, they put gum in my mouth so I wouldn't talk. Put a pile of clothes on top of me and drove through the border from Canada into the states. And the border patrol there, or the you know customs, they just asked. They said, "Well, you know, what's with the pile of clothes?" My mom told them something about like bringing it for you know donations or something like that. Yeah. They just said, okay. Wade them through. Wow. Wow. I mean, for so many reasons that stands out. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, yes, no one patrol, um, border patrol right now, especially as somebody who grew up in Western New York. Um, yeah, they wouldn't dare let you do something like that now. They're check- checking everything. But to have an entire human child the back of your car and without papers I mean have you gotten any clarity around that like how or why I, they even did that like just cause I there were there were no papers for me yeah um, I actually my, my adopted mom gave me my birth certificate about uh, maybe like five years ago and yeah it, it's hand it's handwritten it's like written in pencil literally in pencil? Yeah. And it's an official document. So, apparently it's an official document. So the running joke like with me and a couple of my friends is that I'm not really sure if I'm the age that I am told I am. Because if you, if you look at me, people, you know, I mean, I have a white beard. Some people are like, well, I don't know, your skin's really nice, but then you have a white beard. Like, I can't really tell what... Like, internally, I don't feel like I'm the age I am. Yeah, because you don't know if it's correct on the on the paperwork. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Already, yes, very unconventional <laughs> adoption story. Right. Uh, and how many years later did you say you saw the documents of your birth? Oh, just like about five years ago. Wow. And I had asked about them most of my life and been told like, oh, I don't know where they are or they're in storage or, you know, and it's like when you're younger, you ask once if you're told an answer that seems fine, you, you let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but my, my mother is getting older and she started to like give me things that she's had kind of stored away. So she gave me my baby box, which has the, um, what I was wearing when I was first adopted. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this tiny Oshkosh like jumper thing I was wearing. Mm-hmm. She 
teeth, which I think is very strange. Hmm. Yeah, so there's a bag of teeth in there. Okay. I don't know how to totally process that. Yeah. You know, I tell people that. I just kind of wait a second. Like, like, I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, that's yeah. all I can say. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if that was like... Um, so my... Um, I just call her my mother. Or if I refer to my birth mother, I just say birth mother. But okay. So my mother... Uh, my mother was... She's from Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And she, you know, she's white. She grew up there. Um, and... I don't know if that was like a white thing to save your kids' teeth. Yeah. Um, I don't know of any other white or black family that does that. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I know that, you know, they do the, what is it, the tooth fairy, and then that's kind of. Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 I've never, I haven't, I haven't heard of that one before, but it's totally possible, I guess. I mean, does she have any explanation of why she kept them? Yeah, well, I mean, she said um, she said that she thought maybe I would want them someday. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, that's incorrect. I don't have a need for them. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, one of those things. Yeah. Um, so, how was so, life once you once you came to the states? And you said Wisconsin. No, uh, Maine. Maine, so, Maine, Maine. I don't yeah, know why I said Wisconsin. Yeah so, yeah, so from Jamaica through Canada to Maine. To Maine, and and yeah. how was how was it growing up in Maine? Like, what was the transition like? Uh, it was pretty bizarre. Um, when and so because it was a so there are large portions of my life that are just blank to me. Like I don't remember anything about them. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that will trigger something is like uh, scent. Scent is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. So there's certain things, this, and this is like a, one of the weird things. Like if I smell bologna, mm-hmm. it reminds me of living in Maine because apparently we used to eat a lot of bologna sandwiches. Okay. Um, and snow reminds me of Maine. So it was like there was like a few feet of snow when uh, I moved to Maine. So I went straight from Jamaica to Canada to Maine. So from wearing no shoes, no pants in the yard to fully bundled up, you know, never having seen snow in my life. Talk about culture shock and now also living with a white family. Yeah. So, and I, and I, I immediately had brothers and sisters also. Oh, so they had other children. I was going to ask that. Yeah. I was like, did they have other children? How old were the other children? So they were all about 10 years older than us. Okay. Yeah, so it was a really, and this is this is another question that, you know, this is on my list of questions as my mom is starting to reveal more as she's getting older, but um, we don't know why. I think, this is going to sound terrible, but I really think it was partially out of spite that she adopted us. This is some, and I say this because she had kids already. Mm-hmm. Um, she and her husband at the time, who's, um, he is technically my father. He's, um, you know, he adopted us. Yeah. But he, he had kids from a previous marriage. Okay. She, she had, she had kids from a previous marriage. He did not want any more children. He was done. Like, you know, he was set. He had his kids. They had to, you know, and they were, um, 
something, where which is the reason she was in Jamaica by herself and not with him. Uh, so when oh, she did all of this on her solo. Oh yeah, oh yeah, on her own. Yeah, but that's why I was saying it's so strange that she would be in this little area, this little town by herself. By herself, yeah. It's not Fearless, just, yeah. you know, like, and that's been her all throughout. Like, very unconventional, um, very sort of doing the things that women at that point didn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, just like your family, my mom fostered kids as well. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, like I would come home and there would just be a random kid in the kitchen eating or something or just hanging out. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you live here now for a little while um so there were kids in and out all the time but that was like after she adopted us she was just like there was like more kids always around and 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 your your father did he was okay with like no (laughs) oh so it wasn't even a family agreement she just kind of did whatever she wanted she just did yep exactly she just did it and that's she lives her life you know she wants to do something she'll do it and she'll just figure it out along the way or you know she'll make it work but he did yeah he did not want more children he actually um it caused a uh an issue with them Mm -hmm. um and they you know they went through divorce and she moved away and took us with with um but he did on, I mean, I, and I give him credit. This is a weird thing. So they made an agreement that um, she would, my mother would take care of me, all my expenses, everything, and he would take care of my sister and all of her expenses. We would okay. still live together, my yeah. sister and I, with my mom. But he would be, you know, he would send money or whatever, but strictly for my sister and not for me. Hmm. Yeah, I have no idea why. Uh, I've tried to contact him a number of times throughout my life and never got a response. The last time I saw him in person was my sister's wedding. Yeah. That was was quite some time ago. So it wasn't even just that he had a financial, I guess, um, was financially supporting your sister. He also then just cut ties with you emotionally, too? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that was kind of his... From what I've been told from his kids, that's kind of the way he is. Certain people, he's very focused. He's, it seems like he was more focused on helping the girls in the family than the boys. Like boys, he just kind of like, you know, you're off on your own. You do you do your thing. But the girls, he seemed to really take care of. And it wasn't in a weird way. It was just like that's how he felt. He was like, things. "You're a man, so just you'll be okay." I, th- I think that's kind of, that was his mindset, like, you know, you'd be able to figure it out, but, you wow. know, I, I need to protect the girls or, you know, whatever his logic was. So, mm-hmm. um, and I just grew up, you know, th- I was definitely longing for that. Uh, I mean, my mother, she, she was, she's been married uh, a, a few times, um, but there was one man that was within our house for, I call him kind of like a, st- he was sort of like a stepdad. Yeah. But he was. He was really there. He, you know, he also had his own kids, but he was there more as like a disciplinarian than anything. Like he would, he's he's 
German, so he was very sort of stereotypical German, like not a lot of emotion, just he was there to teach me and to, you know, protect and be with my mom, and that was really it. There wasn't a whole lot of emotional connection there. Okay. So most of my um, affection came from my mom or from my sisters. Um, so um, once this family kind of came together, um, my sister is um, uh, a couple years older than me, and then we have an older sister. And so she, uh, Paige is her name. So Paige, like, she really looked, she really watched out for us. Yeah. Like, my, my, yeah, my brothers were wild, like super wild. Um, and so she was really like the voice of reason and the, the, the stable one. We used to call her Perfect Paige. Um, <laughs> because she just, she, I mean, she wasn't perfect, but she was as close to it in our family as you could get. Yeah. Uh, and she really took care of uh, my sister and I while we were growing up. So I was really, that, you know, and that's where there's a lot of, like, feminine energy within me that's more apparent to people because it's like, oh, you know, because people are like, wow, you have a lot of female friends. I'm like, that's how I was raised. Like, yeah, that's, that's how you grew up. up. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes, you it, know, it makes sense that then yeah. you would connect more with. Um, women, if that's what you grow up, you know, yeah, yeah that makes a and, lot of sense. And all the men that came into my mother's life left, you know, or were not temporary, affectionate. Yeah, yeah, they were temporary, or they weren't affectionate, you know. So it was like I would always kind of retreat back to Dave or my, you know, my sister or my yeah. mom. Like my mom and I, when I was little, we were super, super, super close. Like I feel bad because she really, it was very obvious she favored me over. Mm, does your sister feel that way too? Oh yeah, yeah. She, mm. uh, yeah. They've never had a great relationship. I mean, okay. I think now it's um, it's it's like the I think Sharon tolerates my mother. Um, mm. I don't. I wouldn't say and she. I mean, she loves her as you know, as a as you love a parent, but they don't have a they don't have a close uh, relationship. In fact, when my sister went away to college, she actually had sort of like a dead mother who was one of her friend's mother who really like took her in and like, you know, taught her things and, and you know, did a lot for her that my mother didn't do. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it, you spoke a little bit about your birth mother, um, I guess, and a few different questions are coming in coming to mind around the dynamic of, you know, um, what connection or relationships did you have with like your birth mom or even just black people in general. Right. Um, and then the other question being, what was it like growing up in a space with white people after yep. being in Spanish you know like in Jamaica where yeah. the black population is so dense mm -hmm. yeah um, so the first question so um, my birth mother Jean is her name mm -hmm. um, I don't remember too much about her um, I actually was able to meet her I've only met her in person one time. Okay. Um, there was a, my 
my auntie who's up in Canada, she, I don't know if she organized or somebody organized a family reunion. And my only regret is that my sister couldn't go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went on my own and she was like, you know, it's going to be great, you know, whatever. And it was, it was amazing. Um, it was interesting because I was, uh, I was married at the time. I was married to a white woman for a short period, for a couple of years. Okay. And I, and I brought her there to the reunion because we were, it was like right before we were about to move to California. Um, so meeting, meeting my, uh, my mother was just, it was, it was overwhelming, you know, mm-hmm. and also just meeting, I mean, there were probably 80, maybe a hundred people at this family reunion. Wow. All, all in this one house. Like I had like a, you know, like a ton of cousins. I had, um, I have an uncle there who actually looks a lot like me, but he's a cop, which really kind of messed with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but everyone's like, everyone's like, yeah, he's a cop, but you know, he's, he's different. So I don't know if that means that he's like, let's think slide or whatever. But, um, <laughs> so, um, and the other weird thing is, so after, um, Sharon and I were adopted, my mm. mother had two other kids. Hmm. So I have a younger brother, Troy, and a younger brother, Garfield. Do you stay in um, touch with them? Um, so Garfield is, um, he has some development, um, uh, some development issues. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's an issue, but so he, his mentality is of really like of a little kid. Okay. So he's not, he doesn't fully comprehend like what it is. Like when I met him, it was, it was just fascinating. So he, it's funny cause he looks like Snoop. Okay. So when I met him, I was like, Oh, he looked like Snoop. And he knew exactly like what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And he, he just started laughing. And then, you know, we just kind of, I just like asked him how he was and, you know, and everything. And we just talked. And then I went to walk away and he grabbed my hand and we, so for whatever, it, it was like, his way of just showing that, you know, he cared for me and he, you know, it was just his way of showing affection. But we walked around the the reunion for probably like 20, 30 minutes with him holding my hand. And he was wow. just like, as I was introducing myself to people, he was just mm-hmm. holding my hand walking around. So that was my first, that was my first connection to him, my first meeting with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I check on him through Troy. So Troy, is, he's older. Um, and Troy is a uh he was a youth minister i think he's now just a minister but um he was in jamaica and then uh, one of the churches that he works with moved him up to canada okay uh, and he was really like once Sharon. so Sharon, uh in i think it was like probably like high school college started going back to jamaica yeah. she really wanted she really wanted to find out about our roots and who we were and who our family was. And I had no desire at that time. Mm. I didn't want to know. I didn't care. She would tell me things. I'd be like, yeah, you know, that's cool. Uh, so it wasn't until I was an adult that I really started to realize, like, I don't know anything about being black. I don't know anything about my culture. Mm. I don't know anything about my people. Like, the kind of history that I was taught is just embarrassing like the things that I was taught I went to um I went to a military school for a while in Florida mm-hmm. um I was homeschooled for a while so I grew up on a boat that was it that's the other thing that's kind of different oh wow 
Well, this yeah. is a twist in the story, twist in ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then I went to, um, so I went to military school, and then I went to a boarding school. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there were 200 kids in the boarding school, ninth through 12th grade. Uh, I was one of five black students in, in the school. Um, everyone, with the exception of me, had been recruited from inner city Richmond, Virginia, yeah. to play to play either football or basketball. And my last year there, they actually found out that one of the guys they recruited for football was actually, I think he was 20. They figured out he was 20 years old. Oh, they didn't know how old he was. They thought he was a teenager? Yeah, yeah. They just saw him play, and they were like, we want him. And I'm sure somebody knew. Yeah. And they're just like, just say you're 17. They, yeah. I mean, I used to always think like, yeah, he looks old, you know, like, like you know, black people know black people's age. You know? We, we get real close anyway. And I was like, mm, you got a lot of facial hair for a high school student. And, and then, you know, at the time it was like, they found out like a couple schools around there had done that. There was like, you know, they stripped them all the all their titles and everything because there was like a bunch of like 20 25 year olds out there like killing kids wow and because they were adult people not even teenagers yeah Yeah, these were like full-on adults not okay (laughs) y'all no no but it was you know that was the thing it was like if you were black and you could play a sport they were just they would do anything I mean, like when I got there, that just is to look something. at something. I had a dream about that last night. Yeah. Because I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but I literally had a dream about that exact scenario where somebody, because um, I've seen a lot in being an educator where like kids are treated so differently if they are like seen as somebody who is, you know, good at sports, especially if they're young black men. And, um, yeah, I had a dream about that. And the night, it was kind of a nightmare because it was just like, it was a lack of accountability always. And then I was just like, why are, why are you allowing this? (laughs) Like in the dream. But that's funny. I mean, I didn't know we were going to talk about this today, but Yeah. yeah, that's something. Well, you know, I mean, I equate it to like modern modern day slave trade. Absolutely. Because when you, you know, it's like when you come in, like when I went to the military school, mm-hmm. they immediately sent the coach to talk to me. Like as soon as I was enrolled, I would say probably like three days in. How can we use your black bodies so we could be successful? Yep, like exactly. what? I'm was, just a kid. Just like, oh, can, can you run? play football, you know how to do this, you know how to do that, and I was like, you know, I'm thinking, like, I'm just here to get educated, and then when I went to the boarding school, it was the same thing, like, the track coach, because he, they knew I had run track, and I played football at the other school, yeah. so they, me, they immediately came and talked to me, they're like, hey, you know, we want to get so you signed up. You went to a boarding school? From what, how many years did you go to a boarding school? Uh, I was at the boarding school from 9th through 12th. Um, and I was at the military school, um, seventh and eighth grade. And you were like the, with the boarding school, you lived there, right? Isn't that usually how a boarding school goes? Yeah. And the military school, I lived there too. What, what made your mom do that? Uh, so when we lived on the boat, we had a, we had a charter boat business 
Okay. We we would travel from Miami to the Bahamas to the Virgin Islands. And we lived on the boat. And we would be out for a week or so at a time. Yeah. So we lived on the back of the boat. And the guests that paid stayed on the front of the boat. We were not permitted to interact or talk to them because that's how they wanted it. So I was limited to my parents and my sister as like, you know, entertainment or whatever. Uh, and I had friends that were on other boats, but yeah. we, would go out. we were traveling all the time. So I started to get frustrated. You know, as you're, you know, you're a young man, you're growing up, you want to be with your friends, you want to be girls, be social. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I would literally write as like all the guests got everything on and we're like getting ready to go out to, you know, to take the, the tour, I would jump off the boat. Like literally I would jump off onto the dock and they couldn't turn around because you know, these people had paid to go. Mm-hmm. So after a couple times of doing that, and and there were a couple times I just I just stayed like this is in, in St. Thomas, so I would just stay on the street. I would just stay out, you know, and I would go to you know like maybe go to a friend's house and eat and clean up, and I would just be outside running the streets. And I didn't get in any trouble. I didn't do anything. I just I needed to be out, you know. I wanted to be around my friends. Yeah. So finally, my mom just got so frustrated. She's like, well, you know, do you want to, she's like, maybe you don't want to be here. And I was like, yeah, I don't. And in my mind at that time, in saying that, I thought, okay, then maybe they'll change so that we do spend more time together. But instead, they took me to a military school. And even that part is kind of, so I went there. Um, when I got there, I went on a tour. They, they pair you up with somebody that's your age. Yeah. I took took this long tour around the campus. I was like, oh, this is cool. And I'm thinking, like, this is going to be fun. We're going to go to a bunch of schools. I get time to spend with my mom. You know, we go to that school. We get to the lobby at the end. She's talking to the headmaster. She said, what do you think? And I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, I love it. Of course, because I'm just visiting. Yeah. And they, show, and they show you all the good stuff. And she was like, okay, great. She shakes the headmaster's hand. And they had already shipped my stuff ahead they'd already enrolled me it, it wouldn't even have mattered if you it said you didn't yeah. want to be there yeah so that was kind of the beginning of like i think that was like the first real um notable trigger for abandonment yeah she, i mean because she just like hugged me turned around and, and she left. Left. yep and there i was and i, and I was like whoa so i you know I was there for two years, and I ended up really, like, lashing out. Um, I got into a fight and got kicked out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that was that was even in itself kind of, um, I don't know, I think it sort of set a weird precedent for, like, how I feel about it. So, the fight was because a older, he was a senior, mm-hmm. was, uh, like, beating up this kid in the shower. It was like a younger kid. I, don't, yeah. I, I have no idea to this day what the reason was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they had rank in there just like they do in the military. So this kid really couldn't fight back. And me being new, not knowing all the whatevers, I just saw this kid was getting beat up. So I was big enough. I went in and I beat up the senior. Like I took off my, my belt and like I whipped him like a slave. And I, I, you know, they called me to the headmaster's office and they're like, oh, you know, you can't, 
context of the conversation, the headmaster was like, you know, I would have done the same thing, but rules are rules. I can't keep you here. So I was like, okay. And I thought that that would have gotten me sent home. Yeah. You know, and my mom was like, no, you're not coming home. So I had to find uh, one of the kids had mentioned that his brother went to this school up in Virginia that pretty much took anybody. It was like kind of a last, you either went to juvie or you went to this school or you just went out into the world. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out. I went up there for summer school. I actually really liked it. It was in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like, again, it was you know pretty much all white people. Um, and even the surrounding area, there were still people who had been feuding since like back in, you know, the old days. Like, it was uh, uh, like families. Like. Yeah, it was like the Shiflets and the Morrises. That's what it was. They were still feuding. Like every year, one of them would kill, one, you know, one of the other families, you know, people. Um, so that's how, like, out in the, in it's the country. It's so it was. much to unpack. <laughs> yeah. It's just so much to unpack and definitely a very unconventional life. And I guess one thing that stands out is like, okay. You, your mother adopted you and then I would say then had the audacity to send you to boarding school like and I'm not trying to like heighten the the trigger of it honestly I I, I want to hold space for that because that is extremely impactful in your life I know and um but wow yeah and that's the thing whenever I see um a non-white couple with a with a black child I I try to like somehow figure out a way to interact with them Mm -hmm. where I can you know and I'll say sometimes like hey that was my you know that was my situation Mm -hmm. you know immediately they'll ask me like well you know what should we do and I said teach them their culture Make sure you're immersed in their culture. Yes. And they are fully immersed in their culture. You're never going to be able to teach them as much as they would from black parents. Mm -hmm. But you need to teach them as much as you possibly can because I didn't have that, you know. And and the thing is, it's also like for my mother to take me from my my birth mother, like that's already like traumatic. Mm -hmm. And then to take me from her and send me away to school. So I really never went home to live after about seventh grade. I think I lived at home for maybe a year while my my parents were out of the country. Wow. Like my mom, my mom asked me to take care of, um, we had a condo and a boat in uh, Hollywood, Florida. Mm-hmm. And she asked me to stay there um, for a while while they were out of there. I didn't even know what they were doing. They were just out of the country. Um, but yeah, I never really went home. After that, I would find a way, like during the summer, to stay with friends from school. Um, I worked as a trout farmer in the hills of North Carolina one year because I didn't want to go home. It's so many um, layers. It's so many layers. It's so many layers yeah. of even yeah. what the conversations that we're seeing right now, right? Um, around just like white womanhood and um, often like white women putting their wants before like other people's needs and um, 
even around like travel and um, who gets access to travel, who gets access to adoption, um, the fact that, you know, did she even really have the access, but nobody questioned the fact that she had this pile of clothes in the back of her car and nobody checked and like, it's just, and, and you could correct me if I'm wrong. It's just screaming white privilege in so many aspects. Absolutely. And it's just like, I think these are the nuances and the things that people don't understand about the social construct of whiteness, right? That any of these things were allowed or even happened, you know? Um it's just it's just something to me it's, it's it's kind of blowing my mind really more than anything and and i mean you lived it as well you right. know yeah you know and, and to speak of what you're saying like that's exactly it it's like the, the level of privilege is kind of unbelievable i mean there's there's other stuff that my mother's done that i'll i'll, I'll wait till she writes her book or i write mine to to but it's just i mean like real like gangster type shit that my mother did mm-hmm. in, but under the guise of just being like this little old white lady and people just being like oh it's okay you know or just like looking the other way or whatever but I mean you know she is not a woman to uh, to, to like back down from if she wants to do something she'll do it she'll just figure out a way to do it and if you and I we would, we would I mean if it, even in the 70s, if we'd gone to Jamaica to try and do that, it never would have happened. No, you know? absolutely not. We would, we would never have gotten through customs. We would never have gotten a child. I mean, my, also, my other question is, like, how did she get me out of Jamaica? How did she fly yeah. me out of Jamaica without any papers? Without any paperwork. Yeah. Like, so, you know, there are all these things that it is, it, it's, it's a huge amount of privilege. And it's also, and I tell people who are, talking about adoption or you know anything like that it's like make sure you to the best you can know that this is what you really want to do mm-hmm. that you you can handle this and that you're not going to give up on this child and abandon them i mean Absolutely. there are those you know, i know there's that couple those that they had a child i think it had a child had special needs mm-hmm. and then they they like boosted their instagram and then they secretly like gave the child back or something and it's like like that kind of stuff, you it's know. I'm sure like, more of it happens than we know. You don't throw away children. You don't throw exactly. away people. And you know, my mom used to tell me so many stories about um, situations like that. Um, I remember she had a child that used to come for respite. And um, for those who don't know what respite is, it's like this young person was already in a situation where there was a foster they were in foster care with a potential of adoption but respite is like say if the foster parents um need a break for the week or weekend basically right they would come to my mom's house in the case he had a sibling and the sibling was younger and they so many cases in foster care where like families are not advocating properly for the young people 
they are um, getting the benefits of fostering, but also misrepresenting the child by saying the child is like needs meds or is doing this and this behavior. And my mom was upset because she knew like when the young kid came to our house, none of the behaviors that these foster parents spoke about, he would be at our house a lot ever came up and there was conversation around the fact that they didn't want to adopt him so basically they were misrepresenting him and saying that he had all these these issues so that they could just solely adopt the younger sibling is this rare no um ageism colorism in the, in the adoption process period is something that is so rampant. And um, I guess I'll just share this very quickly. When I was a teenager, I worked at an adoption agency. Oh, wow. And it was a summer job. It was a summer job. And I learned so much. I learned so much about who is adopting, who is allowed to adopt, what certain children are getting adopted, um, how much people pay to adopt certain ethnic um, ethnicities of children. Um, for instance, that teenagers don't really get adopted, that people really want babies, um, and how often a lot of black kids are not getting adopted, especially if they are siblings. Um, but also that mostly who was adopting the black children were white people. And I, I bring this up to say, I feel like because a lot of white people are not willing to see what whiteness is and how exploitive it can be to other people's life, especially, you know, BIPOC people when they are adopting black and brown and, and, and Asian children and totally disregard even thinking about, hey, should I learn how to do my adoptive child's hair? Just something as simple as that. Should I take my child to this cultural event? It's, it's, it, this, is, this is whiteness at its peak. Like, that's what it does. It's like, hey, nothing else is more important than what I want to do. Like, even if it affects someone in a way that is negative, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's really why, I mean, that's really how I exist. It's like my mother was determined to go and adopt children, knowing that her husband at the time did not want any more children. So, I mean, that's, that to me is just kind of astounding, you know. Yeah. You would, you would do something that is—it's it, not like a, you know, a, adopting a puppy or something that could be easily returned, or you know, I mean, even that's terrible. But just you know, it's not just a simple purchase that, like, oh, maybe if this doesn't work out, we'll just you know send it back. It's like a person. It's your whole person, not like a person. You are. You are an entire person. You still yeah. are an entire person. Your sister. Entire person, yeah. a whole person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, 
I just want to thank you for sharing because I really do feel like this will be helpful, not only hopefully to yourself, but also others because I mean, wow. I mean, yeah. So, so when did in your life, did you begin to like maybe have more relationships or just experiences that you deem black experiences? Um, it's funny, gosh, I hope she hears this too. So when, so like, you know, living in the Virgin Islands, I had black friends, but mm-hmm. it was also really kind of disjointed because it was like, we would just hang out when I was at school or, you know, when I was, um, you know, just like playing cause I was a little kid, mm-hmm. but then I would go, you know, the spaces that I would go back to on the boat, it was all, you know, it was like all white people. So I wasn't really fully getting that experience and you know a lot of my friends when I was little like their parents were Rastafarians mm-hmm. so people were like a little afraid of them you know but it was like their kids were you know like their families were cool it was just like there was this like oh they've got you know they've got locks like something you know like they're bad they, they've smoked weed you know just the that. stigma it was, like, actually, it was like actually they're the cooler ones <laughs> you know the people on the island because they were just like chilling yeah Um, but so it wasn't really there was this woman uh so when i went to i went to college i went to college in virginia and there was a black student alliance there and i never you know i was always like i don't know you know i was like i don't i don't think that's for me and um this woman her name is keisha she and she was like you've got to join she's like you know at least just come and hang out and they would have these little like kind of mixers and things because there were so my school was I went to Marymount University mm-hmm. in Virginia uh, prior to me like a few years prior to me going there it was an all women's Catholic university so you can imagine what the demographic looked like there yeah um, so when I got there coming from an all boys school I was like oh this is wild you know mm-hmm. like, and I got I got in all kinds of trouble for never going to class <laughs> but it was um, with students that lived on campus, it was predominantly white. I lived on campus because I wasn't from there, but okay. it actually had a, a really big because um, it had a, a good nursing and fashion program. So there, there were more Muslims actually that went to that school than Catholics. Which yeah, people people really didn't know. But this Black Student Alliance was just you know it was cool. Like people from like there were clubs from other schools that they would come to our school and they would like have a DJ and dance. Um, so I went to a couple of those, and then um, Keisha was just like, I mean, I had a I had a huge crush on her in college, but yeah. we ended up just being friends. But she gave me a book, and I actually still have it, and it's called. I'm gonna pull it out right now. Um, and she gave it to me. She's like, I, you should you really should just read this book and learn as much as you can. Um, it's called The History of African American People. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's more kind of a picture book than anything, but, you know, it was kind of what started me to really um, figuring out who I am. Because that's what she said. She said, you know, you need to figure out who you are. Yeah. And she knew. I mean, as soon as we met, she was like, you know, you're very different. You're not from here. You're not from here. And I know, you know, you don't, because they would make reference to things in black culture and I would just be like, 
crickets in the corner. Like, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Um, so she really encouraged me to learn my history. And it sort of started then. It would be kind of like an ebb and a flow. But it's going to sound funny. The major influence on me finding out things was when I discovered Tumblr. Wow. When Back when it was the good Tumblr. Before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because everybody was putting up, you know, any kind of information that they could find. And it was, you know, you could go to references and figure out where they got it from. You know, and I would be on there for hours. Just figure, like, like Black History Month suddenly was like a glorious time for me because I was like, I'm in. You yeah. Know, all, all, all the people who followed me then on Facebook, or Instagram, they were mostly white. You know, like my white friends and my family. So I would just be like dropping whatever knowledge I found every day. Yeah. Um, and it was encouraging. You know, like they wanted to learn, and it brought me closer to my sister Sharon. Okay. Because she, you know, like, she was very like, like she, I always tell this funny story. Sharon had a boyfriend one time. She brought home to our white family. Mm-hmm. Who he he would not even watch shows that had white people in them, like television. <laughs> he, yeah, he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not watching. He was like, I was like, I was like, how could you bring somebody like this home? Like this is crazy. <laughs> That's just what she needed. She said it she was said. exactly, it was exactly. <laughs> and it, and I think it really flipped the switch for her. Yeah, in that like after that was really when she started looking into our family history and like going back mm-hmm. and like. You know, overturning stones and like trying to figure stuff out so then i was like oh okay you know like he made a re- obviously i'm t- still talking about it, he made a real impression on me mm-hmm. um so those were kind of like the pivotal points where i really started to um to, to dig into it now and like and now really like some of the closest people to me the, the closest black people to me are really like very into like you know I want you to learn your culture. I'm going to teach you as much as, you know, I can mm-hmm. because they're, that's how they are. You know, they yeah. know their lives. So I'm still learning, you know, and I, I love it. I love it that I'm still learning, but it's, it's been an interesting process. Yeah. I feel like that every day too, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm still learning and it's, it's such a unique, I can't say, you know, that I was raised by, you know, a white family, but what I can say is like, what I've learned about blackness is it's so fluid and it's so vast. And like, even growing up and, you know, um, just America in general, like there wasn't a lot of emphasis on the things and contributions and the highlights of like just blackness like when you go to school that wasn't the case when you you know just in just everyday kind of situation I remember I was reading something Baldwin wrote and he was talking about his black teacher and he was like well yeah she's black but she's she's also white not in that she's like mixed but like she grew up in America and all of us have a little bit of white in us and when we grow up in America (laughs) And I was like, and I remember being in the library and crying. I was crying because I was just like, oh my God, that's so true. And I never seen anybody put it in such great words. And that's not what he said verbatim, but that's what, you know, he was saying. And I, I was living in San Jose at the time and I barely ever seen black people. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's predominantly like a kind of like the, there's a large Central American population and I just had never like 
I would go into stores and wouldn't be able to find like hair product or like it was just and I was living with two white girls and it just like I, I was just like I can't do this I need my people <laughs> like so I remember just going in there and reading that and being like oh that's so true because if you grow up in America it's really kind of pushed on your throat so it's such a journey every day to learn new things about, you know, black people, black history, even just our connection to other spaces, just Pan-African history and like how, you know, even across the globe, there are things that we do similarly to each other, even if we've never met, you know, and it's, it's really beautiful to feel that kind of connection. So um, I definitely hear you when you say, like, I'm learning every day because I feel like I, I definitely am, too, all the time. And yeah. the, the one thing that is, it's, uh, it's, a little, it's a struggle for me at times is when mm-hmm. I, I do feel that, like, pride in being black and, and, and not only being black, but being very pro-black, mm-hmm. there is this part of me that feels guilt about, like, is this somehow... Um, against my white family or against my Ooh. white friends. You know, like I have a friend right now who made a comment like, you know, that she doesn't really have um, white friends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, that's interesting, you know. And not that she was saying that it was bad that I do. I mean, she knows how I was raised and everything. But it was it was just an interesting thought. And then when I, you know, like if I post something on online that's like, very pro-black or it says something about like, you know, white people doing some, you know, some, some foolishness, then there is this like second where I'm like, is this, you know, like, should I not, you know, but then it's like, but it's, it's what's in my head, you know, yeah. it's in my heart. Like when I feel these things, it's like, um, and it's, I guess it goes back to that whole thing where when, you know, when somebody, when you say something like, you know, somebody says like, Oh, you know, all men or all women, Mm-hmm. And if you jump, if you jump up and protest, it's like, well, if it's not you, you don't have anything to say mm-hmm. because you know that that doesn't apply to you. So you can just sit back and chill and watch these other people freak out about it because it's like, well, that's not me, exactly. You know, but if you, I think it's very telling when you do jump up and say something and get really offended because uh, then it's like, oh, we, you know, we've hit a nerve. Like we figured out something about you because you just you reacted. Exactly. Sometimes, you know, uh, it pulls out people's insecurities. And as a person who, you know, I would say definitely I've, I have plenty of white friends. So I have so many white friends, you know, but I also have so many black friends and family and, uh, you know, friends who are Latin, friends who are, you know, Pacific Islander and Asian and so many backgrounds, so many different types of people and identities of people are in my life. But I can only say what has been historically true and what continues to be true. There are certain things that, you know, white people have learned and internalized and continue to do or have done in the past. And I totally can hear you out when I think when I first started really really posting a lot of stuff like oh white people be doing this or that you know I did you know feel that bit of like well you got white friends how you gonna say that but then I was like 
that's the very reason I say it because <laughs> when it's it's a difference to know white people personally, right? And here's what I'll say. In my city, not a lot of black people have personal relationships with white people. And some people might hear this and from my hometown and be like, is that true? And I'm like, I've I've watched y'all, observe y'all not have any personal relationships with white friends, but the relationships y'all did have to white people were very much based on on um a lot of the times uh power dynamics where say this person is their supervisor Amy or this is their supervisor Susan or you know always uh always that power dynamic in in between right so when things come up around race and things like that it's very much like hey I've seen this in the workplace I think for people who have personal relationships and have had personal relationships whether it be romantic whether it be platonic with white people you get to see all of those crevices of how whiteness shows up in space and even how when you're around them how people interact with you right and 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 that's the difference like I don't I can't feel guilty because I've seen you in full action right when you felt at your most comfortable and I've seen you show up in ways that very much serve whiteness. Uh-huh. But what I try to do is even, you know, you can ask any of my white friends if I see something or they say something or they do something. I do, you know, I, I hold them accountable immediately. Right. So I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I can write what I wrote today about white people online. And I'll say it to your face, too. and I can be and I can be excited and happy about my blackness without always thinking about how it affects white people that part see that is that's what I'm trying to embrace that exact thing right there I'm trying to embrace that more and and thankfully um, there's there's particular people around me who are really encouraging about that Mm -hmm. because I am stuck in that weird space where it's like you know, so it's like I almost quietly want to cheer for black people because, you know, it's just this like embedded fear of upsetting the people around me. I mean, I came from, you know, living in Virginia, living like out in the country of Virginia where it was like people would call me boy, mm-hmm. you know, people would threaten to lynch me. And, you know, like I have been chased. I've had situations where I thought like, okay, this is going to be it, you know? Mm. And, and I mean, so one of my, uh, one of my best friends, he turned out to be one of my best friends in high school, in that boarding school. He came to me one night. He was like, I, I have to tell you something. I was like, okay. And he's like, you know, my grandfather was a grand wizard in the clan. Mm. And this is like, just to my, you know, this is like a very casual conversation in our, in my room. And I was like, Whoa, really? He was like, yeah. He's like, but just so you know, he's like, that's not me. I don't think like that. He's like, you know, we're friends. We're always going to be friends. And we remain close friends, like, throughout my entire time there. But, you know, it was like, that was kind of always in the back of my head. Like, yeah. this, this is insane, you know? Like, I, it was like that That title, that whole, just seemed very mythical to me. And during that time, um, we would take, because we were in Virginia, we would take um, 
that. It's just it's just so insane. And then, but then even still seeing that and hearing that, still like catching myself whenever I said anything wrong about you know or what we considered like mean or wrong about white people. When it's like no, that's when I should be speaking up. But I still I still have, I still catch myself from time to time like oh should I post this or should I say that or make that joke or that's so rude. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because, and it's so valid because it's like, for instance, like certain times when I'm doing things, I do think about what my mom would say, what my, you know, and I'm, and I'm emphasizing that to say like, why wouldn't we think about the people we grow up and the people who taught us certain morals and things like that when we are doing certain things, right? You know, I remember my mom being like, And this is probably the opposite as far as like why she didn't want me to write certain things I was writing about, you know, politics or race or whatever the case might be. But the fear of her being like, her fear of like, you might not get a job. Like if you say that, the retaliation of it, you know, is what would come to my mind, you know. And and it's not the same exact thing, but I get the the thought about, hey, should I feel guilty because my mom feels afraid about this? Should I feel guilty because I have a white friend? Or, And I can't imagine what it feels like, hey, I have white family members and I'm about to expose some white people shit online. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. what's going to well, be the reaction? Right. Yeah. And it, but there is, I mean, there is that there's same fear also with me about uh, about the workspace, you know, because mm-hmm. I've always worked in predominantly where, like, I would be the only black person or, like, you know, one of very few, but then just, like, you know, who I am, my appearance and everything, like, I don't think they really knew what to do with me, you know, because it was, like, there are a couple times I had phone interviews, so, mm-hmm. you know, you hear me speak and they think, oh, he's probably white, you know, mm-hmm. and then when I, I it was, like, one of my favorite things is, after I've had a photo interview, when I go to meet the person, if I'm sitting, you know, sitting in the lobby or wherever, you know, waiting, and they come out and call my name, mm-hmm. and I just wait for a minute, and then I'm like, oh, that's me. And then there's just like this moment where I wish I could take a photo of their face, <laughs> where they're trying to like fix their face because they're so shocked that the voice and the you know, and the physical form don't don't match up. Yeah. And they're trying to like act like they're not surprised. It's like, oh man, I've seen this, I've seen this many times. And it's so it's so interesting to hear that because I think that black people always know black people's voices. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like I can hear a certain um deepness in your voice that I know that most white men do not have. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. it's a certain base that right. I feel like a lot of black people have. Yeah. Regardless, you know what I mean? And um but I I that just goes to show too just how disconnected I don't know. It's just like it's hard to feel like black people, even if they don't want to be, are always in the know of what white people are doing and how they do things. But white people never knowing how black people do anything. And it's just like, it blows my mind. Like, 
it's no way. But then I'm like, it is a way because everything is like everything in media, everything is is targeted towards you. And now, now we may be getting a bit more in media, but just think the history we're not taught for sure white people aren't and i know you probably know that because you grew up in a white household yeah oh yeah yeah it's it's blows my mind i knew so much about white people before i even knew an actual white person (laughs) yeah because i mean we tell stories like it's like they're mythical beings because it's like how how are they able to do this how are they able to you know to, to get this wealth and like all this and that like i had a friend in um, high school and this is just a, like just the amazing amount of like disconnect with wealth and being white and everything like we we took his dad's um, I forget it was like some kind of Range Rover type thing. it was a Range, I think it was one of the old Range Rovers yeah but we we took it to the beach in Florida this is where we live mm. we rolled we rolled that thing over literally like driving like fool we weren't supposed to be driving Got stopped by the cops. They were just like, they ran his name. So his dad at the time owned like 51, I think he used to always say like, oh, just a little bit more, like 51% of Harley Davidson. Mm-hmm. So like an insane amount of money. We rolled this car. They, we got, you know, they, the tow truck came, we got it upright. It actually worked, you know, everything. We just went on about our business. Mm. Nothing, nothing happened. And I was just remember thinking, like, wow, that's pretty wild, you know? Like, I yeah. thought it was so cool, but then at the same time, it was like, then, you know, months later, when I actually got a license, and I got stopped for rolling through a stop sign, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I didn't, but I was just like, wow, this is, you know, just the difference between those two those two extremes was just, just amazing to me. Blows my mind every day. <laughs> Blows my mind every day. But you know, it's it's so it's so interesting to be talking about this on, you know, inauguration day where now people feel like things will go back to normal. And then what is the normal? What is the normal? Because this has been our normal and this normal yeah. there, <laughs> is there very is complex and complicated. So it's yeah. like it's it's something. It's something, I tell you. It's something to see white people storm in the Capitol. It's something to hear you talk about, you know, cl- a, the Klan walking through D.C. in our capital. It's just, uh, man, it's <laughs> so many, so many vast experiences of how whiteness shows up and how, yes, given the benefit of the doubt, given the... Um, how many times it's shown up in this story, given the benefit of the doubt, given the, oh, yeah, this child will definitely be better off because this is a white woman. This child will, you know, and how many times that's happening too, right? Right. Even in like where there's documentation and all of those things, right? Even when people go to China and they're like adopting Asian children and they're like, yes, this child will definitely be better off because this person is white and that's it. Okay, bye. Like what? Yeah, yeah. Why is that the assumption? Yeah, it's something to see. I mean, 
what do you want people as far as like say if you were speaking to other people or just families who were thinking of being adopted or I mean I'm thinking of adopting what's something you feel like they definitely need to know I think first is why are you doing it mm. like what what is your, what is the purpose of I mean, particularly if you're adopting outside of your race, what what is what's the purpose? Why are you choosing to do that? Um, and will it? So, I had a just a little side note. I had a, mm-hmm. a, a personal experience not long ago where um, somebody that I had dated for a while um, wants to have a child, mm-hmm. and she's white, and she asked that I donate. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, and I thought about it, and I, you know, and I know she would be an amazing mom. She's an amazing person, you know. It just didn't, it didn't work out with us. We're still friends, mm-hmm. but once I really started to think about it, and this is interesting because during this time, I also went from having a, an Asian therapist to a black therapist. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, having it was interesting. I had like both both sides of this, but both of them agreed. You know, and, and the whole thing is, like, this child would be without a, a black influence in their mm-hmm. life. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. I could still be part, you know, like, I could I could have been involved as much as possible. But it's like, well, why do that? Because you're, I felt like I was already going to be putting that child at a disadvantage to learning who they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine commented, like, without a black mother, a black child will never know what it's like to be black and that really it, it's it stuck with me you know and I, I think if somebody's going to adopt you mm-hmm. really need to know why you're going to do it and how you're going to make sure that child grows up feeling seen and feeling safe mm-hmm. so true and it makes me think of um and a lot of people think like TikTok is just like frivolous and ridiculous. No, and not at all. I I love it for all the reasons that people just get to come on there and tell their stories. So many people, so many people sharing their experiences. And um I remember there was a time where my TikTok didn't have like one white person on it. It was only BIPOC people. Only BIPOC people, you know, indigenous American people, like people, BIPOC people from all over the world. And I loved it so much. I was like, this is the greatest shit ever. Um, And there is a side of TikTok that is predominantly um, just focuses on people who are mixed race, black and white or multiracial, but mostly the ones that come up on my For You page are biracial children, some with, you know, black mothers, some with white mothers, and the difference, they even talk about the difference between being raised by, being mixed and being raised by a black woman, and being mixed and raised by, you know, a white mother, and they talk about the dynamics of, like, how they're, for so long, they didn't know about their blackness, or, like, their mother had, you know, a child with a black man, but like K 
kept that from them their whole life type thing or said no you're not black or situations where um it was this one woman she's she's mixed race black and white and she was saying talking about black men who um basically fetishize her because she's mixed and then saying hey i'm partially here because my parents fetishized each other not saying that's the case in every situation with black and white parents but to bring it back to that you know what i mean and like how then that affected their life because their parents were fetishizing each other and because um but nobody ever thought like what is my mixed child's life gonna look like because my child is still a black person you know unless you're extremely white passing and nobody ever thinks that you're you're black, you know, um, but yeah, it's something to see and hear those stories, and um, I'm dating someone right now who, whose mother is, you know, is white, and they're mixed, and it's been interesting, the dialogue has been very interesting, and that's, that's kind of all I'll say about that, but it's, it's, yeah, it's something, I don't know what it is, and I don't know what happens, but I think it, you know, this could be a whole episode on what it means to be raised by a black mom or a white mom. But um, that would be—I would definitely want to hear that because yeah, I mean, there, there there are things that are that are strange that come up. So I've dated literally probably every—I mean, ethnicity, Indian, yeah, every mm-hmm. ethnicity. Really, I've, I've covered it all, mm-hmm. and not that it was an intent; it was just like. You know, I go on energy. If I, you know, you're interesting, you're interesting. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely notice when I am looking. At, you know, and I make a conscious effort now to, to to really like check myself and like, why am I so much more? And I think being brought up in a white family, like lighter skinned white women. I mean, lighter skinned black women. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like they would always kind of like come up on my radar more. Mm-hmm. And even when I was little. Um, the first girl I remember, like, I really had a crush on this girl's name is Cleo, and she, you know, I think her, I think her father was black, her mom was white, and I just remember just thinking she was, like, the most extraordinary looking person I'd ever seen, mm-hmm. and it was just, like, you know, and it, it really, like, set this weird precedent for me, but even, like, in, like in college, I dated, you know, a dark-skinned black woman, and prior to that, and, and you know, in between there as well, but it, it was just sort of, like, where I started to think, like, man, is this because I was raised by white people? Like, do I, mm-hmm. you know, like, is this? It's like pushing my eye more towards, you know, the, and I can remember my sister like not wanting to be out in the sun because she didn't want her skin to get really dark, mm-hmm. you know. And my sister had natural hair, I think, really all of our lives until she went away to school because my mother never took the time to learn how to do anything with her hair. She was just pick her hair out, you know, and that was it. Well, at least she combed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a moment because, you know, yeah. it's it's wild that people can adopt black children, can have mixed race, you know, black children, and not even take the time to learn how to do their hair. And there's nothing wrong with natural hair. I, you know, I have natural hair. A lot of people have natural hair. But, like, just to know how to moisturize your child's hair is such a bonding experience. 
it's such a bonding experience to the the relationship to hair and the relationship that you build through having your hair done you know and because that is probably not as culturally significant to white people for many reasons they say well yeah my black child doesn't need that um yeah (laughs) like it's a whole it's a whole ritual yeah a beautiful one sometimes sometimes painful you know (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i remember her getting her hair straightened one time and this is wow this is gonna really date me but i remember like this is when like you know break dancing was was the thing and like and like you know boys had those like tails like a rat tail yeah and man, I was so pressed to have, you know, my curly hair. I was not going to have one. And I remember when my sister was getting her hair straight, and I was like, I asked my mom, I was like, can I, you know, and she did. She let me do it, you know, and I had like a little, this little nappy thing in the back, like a little tail, but I was so excited. But I remember watching that process of her straightening her hair, and it just seemed so foreign to me, you know, like yeah. I wasn't understanding what was going on or why, or, you know, and when I say my sister had natural hair, I mean, she was, like, styled by the wind and the sun. Like, there was not much. I mean, yeah. her hair was picked, but it was just, like, oof. It was just Both there. hair was just rough. It was know? just living. Because if it ain't moisture, the thing about it, you were living in Maine. That ain't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that already's not going to give you no natural moisture, right? And, and 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 then the mo- your mom probably didn't know to moisturize the child's hair. Mm-hmm. And then when we were on the boat, we were in salt water and you know scorching sun most of the time. So it was like again, you didn't you know we didn't, she didn't put anything on it. So yeah, it was it's it's a it's a very different existence once you start to realize all those things. Yeah, I can't just, imagine how she felt when she met that boyfriend of hers. He probably was putting her on the hair products. And she, uh, <laughs> and that's the thing, like, she went to school, my sister went to boarding school as well, mm-hmm. but she went to school in Georgia, mm-hmm. you know, where, like, even when she was out of school, it was like, there were black people around. You know, yeah. Like she, lives, she lives in, in Georgia now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, every time I go visit her, I'm like, oh, man, this is what it's supposed to be like. You so know, rich. Like, You're like, ooh. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like, it just feels like everybody's glowing around me. Like, yeah, you know, this is this is what it's supposed to be like. And I mean, when I lived in DC, you know, I mean, they still at that time called it the Chocolate City, mm-hmm. and it was, it was it was great. You know, I'd be walking around, you know, U Street and everything. I was like, okay, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be seeing. You know, I'm supposed to eat here. I'm so like, you know, I'd hang out around Howard, even though I didn't go to school there. But I, yeah, you know, people who went there, it was just like I Howard just was jumping. There. I used to go to their homecomings all the time. Man, that was like. <laughs> That was a show. That was just like a full-on show. Yeah. Yeah. Black people were so spectacular. I'm not, you know, not close to black. (laughs) But I'm I'm here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so dope. (laughs) It's something. It's really something. The world is something, and I, I just, I just hope and wish every day that you know. Black people can just see how beautiful and special and amazing we are and that, you know, we can just learn how to take care of each other in better ways too, you know? Yeah. Like, those are the things I think about in void of even bringing whiteness into the conversation. Like, I just am like, 
yeah, what are we going to do? How are we doing it? What do we want to do together? And can we hold space for each other? And can we learn better ways to hold space for each other? And and our experiences, you know, because none of our experiences are the same. And there are some that are universal, but not all, you know. And it's like, I just want us to have respect and love for that, you know, without like trying to police each other's blackness. Like, yeah. Yeah, and that, there's, I feel like there's kind of a lot of that going on now where it's, you mm-hmm. know, people are just, like, checking each other's blackness. It's like, and I, I mean, I'm first to say, like, no, I'm, I'm definitely not as black as most people or, you know, whatever. I mean, my skin is dark, but, you know, my, my the culture I was raised in is not the same as yours, but mm-hmm. I'm here to learn, you know, and I'm here to support black people, and I, and I you know, I push my white friends to support black people, black businesses, and, mm-hmm. you know, and all that. I mean, when we, you know, back in the summertime when, when everything was just like going, you know, jumping off and protests and all that, it was mm-hmm. really interesting, like the divide that happened within, just within my life, you know, where some people just disappeared. And I was like, okay, I know where you stand, like, you know, and then there were other people who were just like, hey. Let me let me cash after you uh, fifty bucks. Just Absolutely. Shout out, like, shout out to all the white people who be sending me reparations. Period. Yeah. The end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then one of the greatest things you probably already know the I forget uh, the person's name, but they do the plant reparations. Wait, who's that? that? Who's doing that? Um, I will send it to you on Instagram, but yeah, Jeez. this person, I don't, I don't know, I don't know this person's pronouns, so I'm not going to say, but, okay. uh, but they do literally it's plant reparations. So white people can sign up and whatever city they're in, if they have extra plants mm-hmm. and then black people just put up like, this is, you know, this is a city I'm in, I'm, you know, I want, and, and so somebody I know personally got, got plant in, in LA, got plants from that. Literally, plant reparations. Yeah, absolutely. I'm here for all the reparations because it is very important. It is very healing. But I also hope that white people can take the time to think about their generational karma and and, and generational violence that they that are that is embedded in them. I pray for that every day for them because you know the focus can be on us. In the ways where I want the focus to be on our reparations and, and, and uplifting us, but not us constantly giving labor to whiteness and white people. Not us right. constantly educating and no, 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 no. Send me the coinage. <laughs> <laughs> yep. and, and, and don't ask for nothing else, you know, because it's already exhausting enough sometimes just trying to do regular everyday shit as a black person. I don't need to also be constantly educating people. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I had friends that, you know, when we were going down to protest and things in LA and they would, I had white friends who would say like, Oh, you know, can I go with you? Or, you know, what should I do? And I'd say, no, you should get some of your white friends. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Y'all should yes. have that experience together. Yeah, yeah. Experience that together because your experience with me is going to be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was interesting, though. Here uh, in L.A., it was, like, one of the first times I ever... Because I remember, like, you know, there have been protests all my life, so 
gonna get used to racial prejudice and racism and these systems that we currently live I'm never gonna get used to it. it's the strangest thing to me it's strange yeah. to me every day like I'm yeah. like this is strange your actions are strange the police system is strange yeah. the the prison system is strange racism definitely strange uh it don't make any sense to me i've never seen so much of people thriving off of the very existence of melanated people but like working so hard to deny it like i just mind blown like every day about that like just mind blown every day (laughs) yeah yeah i'm like wow but um if you could leave our audience with anything, um, a personal philosophy, um, a tidbit of information, a mo- motivational quote, what would it be? Hmm. Um, I think for ev- I mean everybody. I think really black or white or you know whatever your whatever your cultural um, identity is, learn it, learn about it, learn the history of it, learn how your culture has affected others around you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's something that we, I know it's something that we, we overlook, some purposely, some not, but just to learn your impact on the world currently and in the past. And I, I think that helps you move through the world differently. Mm-hmm. Realize, like, you know, because I have I have white friends who are very aware of, you know, and will say things about white people and always throws me. I'm like, you know, you're white, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> but you know, it's like they're very aware of their their the impact of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I tell people like, you know, be good to yourself, but also really learn about, you know, your impact on this world. And your impact on the people around you. Yes. I, I second that. Absolutely. So important. Yeah. I want to thank you, Rich, for, oh, thank you. for coming on today and sharing your story. And I just absolutely know that someone's going to hear this and it's going to be medicine for them, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank I you. I hope so. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you so much. Like, yeah, you know, you. I think it takes a lot to come and share your personal story and, you know, the trauma and the triumphs, you know, and, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. Great. Thank you so much for, for this. And, yeah, your platform is, is great. I'm hoping, uh, you know, I want to post something about this and I hope other people contact you and connect with you as well you know I hope so too it's it's great it's interesting to to verbalize this stuff to somebody who doesn't know you you know mm-hmm. so it's like you can you can just say whatever you want or, or don't want and um but I think it's it's a really good vessel for keeping these things at top of mind you know there's some things that that you said there's some things that I said that I maybe have thought of a while back but mm-hmm. 
your story definitely has, you know, also just been impactful for me today too. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have this platform. Shout out to, you know, Helen Berry, the one who made me or gave me this thought to start this, you know, because I just want people to share their stories. And I'm thankful for the people who are listening, you know, and who continue to listen. And um, can you let the folks know your social medias and such? Yes. Yeah, so um, my personal is uh, the Ultra Goliath 1111. Um, and then my newest one is actually... Um, it's a uh, Nija Wellness. It's N I J A Wellness, and it's uh, it's that one is what I'm most proud of right now. So it's uh, it's based on me finding out about um, my uh, my DNA as uh, being from uh, from Nigeria, and knowing that I'm from Jamaica, and just trying to bring wellness to our communities, but also other communities, and making it uh, something that is accessible. Um, so, um, I'm just trying to, to really work on that space because I know that's something that um, we don't have a lot of access to is, is good, healthy food. And not, it's not only food, it's, it's just like wellness as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, mind, body, spirit, everything. Like, so, Absolutely. Uh, well, yes, y'all go and follow both of those pages, please. And thank y'all again for coming to the Black of the Berry podcast. Love y'all, and I hope y'all are having a wonderful day, night, evening, whatever time it may be when you listen to this. And thank you again, Rich, and peace out, people.